currently the chief of staff uh, over here. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay. Um. Yeah. Looks like we have some people joining. Um. So I, I think we can just get started. Um. Can you retweet from your end as well? Um. On this. Um. Uh, this. The. Uh, uh. This spaces. I'm just gonna retweet it and then get this going. One sec. I, I think uh, our site already did it. Yeah. Okay. One sec. Uh, let me see. Weird that spaces doesn't allow me to do this. Um, okay, I guess people will just join it. Awesome. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get this going. Um, Charvin, thank you for making the time. Uh, I know it's uh, pretty late over there, so um, really appreciate you making the time here. Uh, why don't you give us a quick intro, and then we'll get this party rolling. Awesome. Thank you, Gollum, for having me on your show. So yeah, uh, Sharmin here from Saison Capital. Um, so maybe I can share a bit about how I started my crypto journey because my own crypto journey is pretty boring. Um, it, it's just similar like family office stuff and just try to find things. Um, so with regards to crypto, I actually started off in 2017 as an anti-crypto because uh, I didn't really like the idea that uh, Ethereum and the, the other PR the other chains were actually looked at like currencies because it just did not make any fundamental sense to me. It does, it does not even make sense to me even today, which is why I was like pretty against this uh, space in general because there's no way uh, Ethereum can be counted as a currency or replaced for fiat. So I, I was pretty uh, anti-against it. And then in 2017, I just was trying to explore like different exchanges where I could basically short everything. And yeah, I, I was kind of started off really early in like 2017 March, which was extremely, extremely early, but no regrets. And whatever allocation I had for my crypto side uh, was obviously kind of, you know, I had to top up my margin and everything by the end of November. But then when it hit like the peak in November 2017, I was like, God, no, this makes zero, you know, freaking sense. And I, I just kind of uh, pulled up more money from my bank account and then I just put it, basically uh, opened up new short positions again on all the positions I had, which was all the so-called blue chips back then, which was um, Bitcoin, obviously, like Ethereum, Litecoin, Ethereum Classic, and a lot of the other coins, right? Because the main application back then was just currencies and mm. I do not buy that. And then I think in 2018, uh, the first, I guess the first half, I was also still a bit bearish, but at the same time, I thought crypto was dead, but I still kept an eye on it because you never know what new opportunities you get short or long. Right. And then I sort of came across like a couple of uh, derivative DEXs out there, uh, which were doing pretty cool, uh, pretty cool stuff. And then they, were, I mean, the only back volume back then, right, because it was not at all a crowded space, was just volume. And then there was this one uh, exchange, which is currently the top five derivative DEXs. So in 2018, kind of invested in their seed round. And then um, I just started to see the applications of crypto uh, coming in because this is actually something a layer one is supposed to be meant, right? Because your modern internet is also, I think, nine layers or more. So you need to have real applications being built on it. So that's around the time when I also started like a small MEV op uh, with like a few people um, back then. And even like have one uh, partner uh, who's like day job is doing like AI for Google. Um, and then, yeah, just got the party running for my MEV side as well, which was pretty expensive, but worth it. The gas wars were just like out of my mind. Like I, I couldn't even imagine it. And then um, I obviously faced a lot of issues with the whole proof of work and um basically the speed, right? Because for MEV, it's all about the speed. It's similar like HFTs. And then um, I, I was basically trying to find more for more faster chains and then came across uh, Solana, AVAX, and Polkadot um, back in like 20, in the 2019 to 2020 range. And then I kind of was a big fan of Solana um, from 2020 and then got really involved with the ecosystem as well. And then was also like anonymously one of the core for one of the biggest um, DeFi infra there um, that kind of did more than uh, 900 mil a day in volume. Mm. And then after that, um, sort of like 
uh, left that role um, in September 2021, and then yeah, just joined Saison in June 2022 uh, okay. um, as the chief of staff. So maybe like maybe just to give like a quick intro to the firm as well. So Saison Capital is basically an investment arm um, of one of the biggest Japanese uh, financial institutes yep. called Credit Saison. Um, so we are mainly known for like two things. One is basically wholesale lending, cheap debt basically. For a lot of um, uh, tech unicorns, uh, non-banking uh, lenders, and quite quite a uh, various of like a uh, range of uh, potential borrowers. Like biggest example would be someone like Grab, where we kind of funded a huge chunk of their loan book, and then also was key, uh, pretty instrumental to create Grab Financials, which was like a zero to ten billion dollar like side unit for them. Mm. And then, yeah, so I joined uh, these guys because I think. This space needs a lot of industry making co- money coming in, and you need to convince the tradfis as well, right, to actually recognize the benefits of crypto and why it's really necessary. Right. So instead of joining the native fund, I just decided it would be best to join them. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it seems like a couple of big steps on your um, career, I guess, would be, you know, like just kind of shorting everything you know when every everyone was uh kind of thinking that this was going to be the new paradigm in 2017 like top pick of 2017 and then um rotating that into the more involvement in solana and then kind of joining um saison afterwards right in kind of like big buckets nice um uh yeah and i I know I learned a ton from you. You know, we we talk offline, you know, a couple of times here and there. So definitely let me know. Uh, Feel free to answer, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, I do want to go into Solana part first. Actually, before we do that, um, I think everyone is talking about Binance and BUSD today, right? So let's, uh, let's hash that out first. (laughs) <laughs> um, because I, I know everyone's kind of like talking about this and it'll be a shame not to in this, um, in this, uh, spaces, but yeah, like, what do you think? Uh, I, I think Binance, I, I, I kind of feel like this, the immediate effect of this is not, not too much. It's uh it's more of a nothing burger. I think, um, you know, BUSD has always been one-to-one backed, um, and you know Paxos obviously being heavily, heavily regulated. I think, you know, they 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 do have that reserve to redeem everything. So I don't think this is like a bank run kind of situation. However, it gives more. I guess it, it kind of like hints at more regulation that might be incoming, especially for, you know, some of these bigger entities like Binance. So wanted to get your your take on you know what this means for crypto and you know where where this kind of might lead in the future sure I, I think um, this was sort of inevitable um, which is why like for now even for me majority of my uh, current portfolio um, like which is pretty pretty much stable coins because mm-hmm. I already closed my short positions from 2021 um, mm-hmm. I, I actually keep it in uh, most of these like stable coin, the so-called decentralized stable coins. I don't really believe like we need centralized stable coins like USDC coming in. Um, right. So I mean, this was inevitable actually. So I I was surprised they didn't come sooner to be honest. Um, however, I think the okay. FTX thing was a main catalyst. Yeah. But that being said, like I'm pretty much like an on-chain maxi. Uh, wherever it is possible, like not everything mm-hmm. has to be on-chain. So, um, like, after the FTX thing happened, like, it was pretty impressive if you saw the Uniswap volume. Like, you would expect Binance or them to get 100% of the volume, right? But then mm. at more than $3 billion of volume came in via Uniswap. So, pretty, I've, I, I felt, I mean, it was obviously not a great situation, um, but I felt pretty uh, happy about the fact that people, act, quite a few of the people uh, decided to go to the on-chain route instead of just cashing out. Right. Um, however, for this, um, uh, with regards to the BUSD side, um, it while it it has been inevitable because I think the government just wants to crack down on crypto, and this may also tell us that the CBDC is actually also coming near, right? 
which I think back in 2017, 2018, people are actually sh- like in the crypto community were shilling CBDCs like as something governments want to support crypto, which I don't really think uh, is the best way to categorize that. Um, and like, for example, in India, you already have more than 50,000 users and more than 5,000 uh, merchants actually using the digital rupee. Mm. And even in other countries, you have these CBDC uh, regulations popping up. So if if you already have a on-chain currency, I, I think the governments would definitely want to crack down on potential, you know, private entities like uh, Paxos and uh, Circle. Like, I'm pretty surprised they haven't come after Tether, you know, despite the so-called uh, the allegations. Right, right. Um, yeah. I'm kind of looking at, um, you know, the on-chain data right now. It seems like, uh, I mean, if we're kind of like jumping over to on-chain data side, you know, I one thing that we've been realizing as a firm is that it doesn't take too much to, you know, become profitable, especially in the DeFi space, because the fee structure are a lot more generous in DeFi. And I think um, users have less sensitivity to fees when it comes to DeFi. Um, so if you look at some of the protocols like, um, GMX or gain, you know, you can see that they're pulling in anywhere from like two to three mil per month to 20 to 12, 13 mil per month, right? And, you know, user base is very, very small um, from like 300 to 500 or, you know, like 13, you know, like 1300 to even 1500, like very small user base that are pulling in that protocol avenue. So I feel like DeFi has a lot of like, you know, ability to grow just from that standpoint, like the on-chain data that we see. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I'm seeing some of the, you know, Uniswap, uh, I guess, like on-chain data here, it looks like they're pulling in, they're, they have about 45,000, you know, you know, daily active users, and then they're pulling in about maybe, um, you know, 51, 52 in protocol revenue, right? Um, yep. Which is huge, which is huge. Um, so. Yeah, just on, I guess, using that as a jumping off point, um, do you do you feel like there's a, you know, there's room for DeFi to grow? And if so, is that going to be monopolized by Uniswap? Or are there other venues like GMX or some of these other guys that are popping up, maybe NFT perps, whatever that is, right? That are, you know, that you're kind of looking forward to in terms of like the exponential growth? Sure. Um, so I, I think... Like maybe uh, because of all the stuff that happened today, I'd like to start out by saying like I think there's going to be two versions of DeFi, and based on my conversations with other uh, regulators as well, right? Uh, just to understand what can we expect and what can we actually share with our portfolio companies on how they should evolve with the regulations, because mm. regulations I, I welcome regulations, but not I mean obviously it's not in my hand, but you, you got to stick to it. But and, and then like kind of uh, got this idea that there's going to be two versions of DeFi. What, like, for example, even a same protocol, let's take some stable coin, for example, maybe MakerDAO or something. Um, one is going to be the unregulated version of, the, uh, of MakerDAO, which anyone can, in the world can use. And then the second is going to be the regulated one. And then people always ask, like, how would those things be, you know, mix, uh, sort of, you know, go around with one another. I mean, it's pretty simple. You just play around with the metadata and, yeah, I mean, it works out well. So I think people need to keep this mentality in mind because if you really want in- institutions like our parent company to come in for lending or whatever purpose it may be, we need mm. a regulated entity. Unregulated is just as bad as illegal for a traffic. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah. And with regards to DeFi, I'm still pretty bullish on clubs, right? Um, and then, I mean, the current... The P2P model, while it has really worked out pretty well so far, um, I, I just don't think this is going to be really helpful if you want non-crypto hedge funds to come in, right? And then the definition of institutions is also pretty wrong in crypto. Like it, that, Those are not really institutions if you look from our, like maybe some of the TradFi perspective, right? You, you need like a proper on-chain order book to actually get the institutions on board and actually see how fast it is and everything. Like so far, I think most of the order books have faced like quite a bit of issue, right? Uh, one is in terms of like uh, 
greater like usually when greater liquidity comes in it just means you have more traders come in which kind of drives up the gas and storage costs which well makes the whole thing kind of useless um so like i'm i'm pretty much looking at uh chains that have the ability to have a, a nasdaq like equivalent uh club being built on them that kind of mm-hmm. deals with the whole problem of gas subsidies and uh, storage storage costs pretty well Got it, got it. Okay, so that's what you're kind of looking at. Um, you know, like GMX is obviously a great stuff, but I, I, I mean, if you look at why people are actually using GMX, in my opinion, again, I'm not trying to shoot anyone. Um, it, it's just purely because of the rewards, right? But how long can you keep on feeding the rewards to people? I mean, if you trade it without the rewards, it is just so expensive. I don't know any professional trader in my network that would actually trade on GMX if there were no rewards. Right. So I guess we got to keep the sustainability part in the mind as well. Like, it's it's not the DeFi summer anymore. Mm, especially, yeah, when, especially if uh, people are kind of like conscious of liquidity and their uh, position size and, you know, some of the costs in the, in the bear market. Um, I agree. Um, I think um, uh, we'll we'll jump back into this. I do want to kind of like set the conversation up right, where I want to maybe come from more of a you know your experience on some of these um, some of these other protocols that you kind of went through, um, especially Solana. So I know you got involved in Solana, and the thing that I want to explore more is um, you know where where is Solana now versus it was before. And what, what do you think have either changed or, you know, changed your opinion about it or have, you know, like you have like various different theses on it and where could they go kind of like after? Because like you were deeply involved in that ecosystem and I think it'd be beneficial for the audience to kind of know, okay, like how they can kind of think about evaluating some of these protocols and, you know, maybe get some of your insight on how you're evaluating it. Sure thing. Um, so maybe I can start off with how I started really getting impressed with Solana. Um, so back in, I think, late 2019, every like a lot of my friends, uh, they were kind of uh, seed investors with uh, Solana. And then I, I was like, OK, so this is just like another Alt-L1. Because like today, like just like how we have all these ZK narratives coming up every few weeks, that, that was the case back then as well for, but, uh, for Alt-L1s. And then I'm like, nah, this is not really that interesting to actually, you know, spend like 10, 15 hours a day on that application and doing some stuff. So I, I kind of faded it for a bit. And then in 2020, um, started meeting like quite a few people in the ecosystem and realized like the foundation, the foundation actually wants to push the Nasdaq on chain uh, sort of like uh narrative forward right which was pretty cool because back then a club was only efficiently possible on solana only back then and then that just really pushed me forward and then the community wise like i think early in the days there were a lot of tradfi folks coming in which for mm. me was pretty interesting uh because like these, these were like not just like junior folks coming in but they were like quite a few people senior to me like maybe 10 15 years senior to me and then these guys were coming in the space and doing some pretty cool stuff like X Citadel, DE Show and all that stuff, right? And I thought this is the right community I found because for Bitcoin the community was pretty much like um bunch of like, you know, uh people who really care about decentralization and in the that's a very beautiful concept. However, for it to actually work, it that's another story. And then for Ethereum, the entire e- ecosystem was like so hard or unfriendly to new entrants back then that it, it just kind of like pushed me away and the speed and the gas cost didn't really make the deal really attractive to me. And then, yeah, I, I just saw like the whole Nasdaq on-chain narrative to be pretty cool. And that was the grassroots of Solana back then, right? Um, it was just DeFi. And then I think afterwards, uh, why I left in September 2021 was, um, again, this is not like a wrong or correct thing um it's just like i guess no of course it's where, your it's your assessment right is. yeah wherever the adoption is right like yeah i think back by then there was just a lot of nft and game five people coming in and 
the, I, I think the the narrative towards you know Nasdaq on chain and working towards that was slowly fading away, and I think it has faded away to be honest. Um, but then, yeah, I mean that that was like one of the key reasons why I kind of left it. However, mm. I'm still like pretty bullish on Solana because they they have done some pretty great partnerships in the whole NFT and GameFi space so far. Um, like I think the recent one was with BTS and a couple of other Korean um, celebrities, which was pretty, I, I think, pretty cool. Like, I think every chain has its niche, and I think Solana found that niche. Sorry, uh, yeah, so what about so uh, what about now? Like now till I guess like going into the future, like what do you what do you uh, what are you kind of looking forward to in terms of like maybe on chain data, uh, maybe some of the things that they've been up to, such as like hardware um, that they've been building. Um, you know, I yeah. think they've also yeah, just sorry, go ahead. Great yeah, job so, on the whole priority fees as well, right? Because uh, what used to happen back then was like any anyone uh, could actually jam up the network uh, whenever there was a hot NFT mint or what anything, and that was because there was no like real fee markets. Um, and then I think they recently set up this whole priority fees uh, market, which. Austin, can you hear me? Shut. <laughs> Sorry, this guy <laughs> just came on, and I thought he was gonna add something useful. <laughs> Sorry, guys, uh, that was a troll. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they currently have the whole priority fees market coming in, which has been pretty helpful in actually unclogging the potential transactions, right? Like all the stuff that happened with the NFT mints of D-Gods and everything. Um, so I, I think with regards to the hardware as well, I think they're actually making the whole process uh, in terms of like the storage side, pretty decentralized in a way. Like I'm not gonna call it decentralized, but rather less reliant on people like AWS or Google Cloud. Mm, okay, so you're you're like based on you know some of the storage and you know some of the priority fees that they've been working on. Do you think you know like Solana's definitely taken a feedback into their community and they're they're, they're like uh you know like they 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 have a vision as a protocol. Yeah, I, I think they've been doing, like, they, they found a niche, right? Which is pretty much mm. NFT and GameFi. And I, I think they may do very well in it. Got it. Um, let's uh, let's go into more of the, uh, I think uh, it, it'll be interesting to go into more of the L1, L2, especially on-chain stats, right? So, um, yeah, like, I know we have a ton of narratives holding, uh, you know, like, floating out there. Um, I think um, I, I don't even know where to begin with this. Um, like you have all the layer ones, um, you know, like the layer ones that are that kind of have created before in 2018, 2019, the new layer ones that are coming up that are modular, monolithic conversation. And then you have layer twos that are here, you know, and all, all of them at the end of the day, we are trying to get more transaction, right? Like easier use, easier transaction, whether that's DeFi, whether that's GameFi, whether that's, you know, asset transfers, whatever that is, right? Um, what are you kind of seeing in terms of like, uh, you know, like when you're assessing, you know, some of these like layer ones, layer twos, especially on chain, um, what are some of the, this is more of a general umbrella statement. Like, what are you kind of like, try to see when you're going into these like level one, level two plays and what are you looking to see when you're, um, I guess, yeah, when you're trying to assess the valuation or trying to assess whether to enter into those or not? Does that make sense? Oh, I think you might be on mute. Oh yeah, sorry. So I, I guess yeah. like the first thing with regards to layer ones or layer twos for that matter, maybe I can just stick with layer ones for now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess like the first thing to keep in mind is uh, just stay away from like a lot of noise because I, I mean, obviously ZK is cer certainly something I'm really bullish on, but not now. Theoretically, maybe in the five, next five, 10 years, because this, this is something like I think in those who were active in the scene back in 2019 may have seen like... Um, there were just too many ZK narratives going on, like with one researcher just copy pasting most of the stuff, and right. so there were like major, like quote unquote, breakthroughs and hype, like what we have going right now, like every two three weeks, and then, then the second uh, that that's the first part is basically just fade, like stay away from noise, 
Second thing is, I mean, ask yourself, like, if you were in the, uh, uh, if you were sitting at, at like a TradFi or some non-crypto hedge fund, would you want to use a dial-up internet or would you like to use fiber optics? Mm, I mean, obviously, fiber optics, right? Exactly. So, hence, like, I'm actually more, I mean, like, personally, um, I, I tend to use more of the faster chains and and, and I, I think TPS is obviously like a very marketing metric. It's it's not real. What I care about is the TTF, the time to finality. And if that is like at like less than one second, I'm more than happy. Yeah. Sorry, uh, that, less than less second. than sorry what? Less than one second of TTF. Right, less than one second in P TPS. Uh, TTF. So, uh, uh, sorry, uh, how do you define that? Uh, time to finality. Oh, time finality. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. It. Um, yeah. So that that's definitely one thing. So like, like I always ask people like who kind of ask me, what do you think of Ethereum? Yada yada yada. And I'm like, do you want to use dial-up internet or do you want to use fiber optics? That's all I ask. Like, so like you're you you're more bullish on the the alternative layer ones that actually can do finality a lot faster. For sure. Um, like mm. that, that's the only space where you can actually have real applications coming on board. Like mm. you, you could not have most of the application that we have today. Like for example, even this Twitter AMA space on the dial up internet, can you imagine how the experience would be? Right. And like multiple spaces going at the same time. Yeah. So definitely. Um, what about, um, is, is there some like, then, on chain like, data? Sorry, go ahead. And then, oh yeah. So with regards to the consensus mechanism, I, I think that's like a super overhyped um, you know, term out there, because like, but it, it can be anything. Consensus like... mechanism also kind of like in the conversation with finality, because like you, oh, you see what uh, the what I they're guess... how they're like dividing consensus right now. You know, especially monolithic modular conversation. That's exactly oh, yeah. what they're doing, right? For sure. Uh, I guess uh, for the change that kind of fit the more faster narrative, and if you want to kind of decide between them, uh, I, I guess like consensus mechanism is super overhyped, like it can be BFT, it can be DAG consensus or whatever. Um, but the thing is, I think the BFT and DAG consensus, which are kind of different from one another, um, they're they actually pretty okay to be used, to be honest, because th these technologies have been there since the last 35 years or something, and they have been tried out, tested through, by, through everything, and it, it's kind of safe to use right now. So like, I wouldn't really focus too much on it. Like it is definitely something important, but not to the hype where people kind of, you know, write 10, 15 pages of mem uh, investment memo for that. So, and then the second thing is, uh, the third thing is, how is the uh, developer languages like? Mm, right? like that's so, super okay. Uh, for example, is, does that, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just wondering if that actually impacts. Um, I know, you know, uh, Solana, Rust. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm not a developer, so I know how to speak about it too much. But I know, like a lot of people prefer the ease of the language. Um, also, like I think for Ethereum, a lot of people are, you know, like especially you know being EVM compatible. I know, like for a lot of developers, it's it's like necessary for them to have that, you know, like EVM compatibility with their, you know, with whatever they're building. So there's like two kind of like. I guess two schools of thought to it, right? Where you have your own independent language that's built on something that's not EVM compatible and you have like EVM compatible languages that's a little harder to build on. But I'm just wondering if there's like, uh, you know, like especially with new protocols like, you know, um, uh, Aptos coming out or Sui coming out, you know, where the languages like move, right? Um, and I'm sh I think it's a variation of like an existing language that I've heard. Um, but yeah, like maybe like maybe explain a little more on like what you mean by, you know, like why language is important. Sure thing. Um, yeah, and I, I guess with regards to Rust, right? Like, I don't know why a lot of people in the crypto community complain about it, to be honest. Because if you go out to the TradFi side, like, I'm going to, like, if I ask, like, one of my uncles who, so, like, I think 55 or something, he, he knows Rust by the back of his mind. And mm. so do other, most of his colleagues. Like, this is something basic. If you're a computer science engineer or something, you must have learned this in school. So I, I really don't get why people are kind of attacking Rust. Like, it's so tough to use and everything. Like, Solidity is mm -hmm. for sure easier, but security matters too. Anyways, 
why why languages, right? Like, I, I think before like asking why languages, maybe it's first key keen to understand like wh- what do smart contracts actually do. The first use case is basically like you you need to def- be able to sort of define new asset types. Second would be to sort of read, write, and transfer assets. And last but not least would be sort of like to check the access control policies and then got it. So I, define assets, read, write, and then check controls. Yeah, and then like you know, asset sign ownerships are like just super fundamental to the core uh, concept of smart contract. And then the current languages that you that are currently used are limited to just one language per blockchain apart from the EVM compatible ones. And what history has taught us about computer science or technology in general is no, there's no like one fit all technology that kind of fits every need and that kind of actually turns out to be a dominant winner. So because of one of the one of the reasons why I'm not a big the biggest fan of EVM is like mainly one 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 of the reasons that and then like even the current smart contract uh, smart languages like they may not really generally allow people or the devs to do like some of the following right like pass an asset as an argument to the function store an asset in a data structure let the callee function temporarily borrow an asset or even declare an asset type in maybe contract A that would be using contract B and even take that for even take that asset outside of the contract that created and then what we need in the language is I guess like two key features I would say one is like just safe abstractions for custom assets, ownership and access control, and strong isolation that kind of helps you write safe open source code that interacts um, that directly with the untrusted code written by you know potential motivated attackers. Mm. And yeah. And I, I'm like, are you like, is it? Is the difference between like I guess like what you just mentioned that you know having a very isolated kind of um, zone where you know uh, smart contractor uh, sorry uh, developers can like deploy that code is that doable in um, Rust setting where it's not doable in Solidity setting? Um, so I guess with regards to the key differences between Rust and Solidity so far is pretty much just the security to be honest. Like I, I think Solidity is pretty uh, pretty much like an pretty expanded language like you have the ability to do what you like and everything oh sorry rust is basically a pretty expandable language like you you can do anything you like and you know just do your stuff and come back well for solidities i think a pretty much easier experience however over there in solidity you kind of compromise a bit on security as compared to rust and then i think with regards to move um and i i think there's a couple of other languages as well but uh, unfortunately they're not really hitting the benchmark we need to actually recognize that as, or rather put our time and energy looking into that. So for Move, like you kind of control both the developer experience and at the same time, Move is like not a really big language, like it's pretty quote unquote restricted. So like there's less things to learn and hence the experience is just like much more easier. Got it, got it. Um, I think this is a good kind of segue into um, Aptos. So I know you were, you know, Saison's involved in Aptos. I know you are involved in Aptos as well. Um, and you recently went to Korea um, for for the Aptos hackathon. Uh, maybe like let's uh, let's start off more general. Like, you know, what did you what did you kind of see when you were in Korea, um, especially for like the Aptos ecosystem there? For sure. I mean, here, like I, I think I was shilling Korea to everyone after I came back to Singapore. So like here, <laughs> right? Like. I have like four key learnings. Uh, so like the first one is more than 40% of all the crypto TVL comes from Korea. And and I was really surprised when I spoke to the LPs. One of my friends was like... Koreans are crazy. No, they're, they're, they're just degenerates, yeah. I, I expected like some, you know, nerdy guy sitting in a one-bedroom apartment contributing to the TVL. But these guys are actually like old school money, like old money. Uh, with like 1980s kind of offices and then... You know, there was a huge language barrier, uh, and I had translated. Of course, meeting. yeah. But I was really happy and surprised to see those kind of people actually being some of the biggest LPs. And mm. then the second thing is like uh, more than fifty-five percent of the validators for most like non-EVM chains come from Korea. Fifty percent of non-EVM chains. More than fifty-five percent. Yeah. More than fifty-five. So non-EVM, as in Solana, um, near yeah. Aptos. Oh wow. Okay. That's a. I mean, is that for every single like non-EVM? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, like over there, the biggest communities I met were obviously Cosmos because a lot of the all oh, right, like, Cosmos, like, yeah, yeah, Korea's big on Cosmos. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like I, I didn't really. I mean, I knew that this was there, but then I didn't really expect, really understand why that happened. But then there's like you know community and network effects everywhere. So like, um, I I kind of learned that a lot of the Xterra TFL people who who by the way were are pretty smart. It's like, I guess, you know, like you can't just put everyone into dirt because of one guy. Mm, and of course, so apparently like these guys, uh, like they are pretty close with like some of the biggest protocols on uh, Osmosis and you know, uh, like on Cosmos with Osmosis, for example. And they kind of built that the nonce community, which is like the place to be if you're going to Korean crypto. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, everyone just basically, you know, started learning why Cosmos from their team. And then mm. uh, when you look at change like Aptos, I think Aptos, the validated count is extremely high for Korea, which is why I think they're doubling down over there um, in terms of manpower hire and everything. Got and, it. and then like the third point why I was like super excited about Korea, considering like I'm a huge DeFi maxi is like, like if, if I want to, if anyone wants to learn how regulated DeFi will be done in the world, it should be like look at Korea right now, like I think it's like one of the few developed countries where I see like former top government officials like leaving their powerful jobs to join crypto companies, like you know former like state security advisors or congressmen or th- those kind of positions, right? Mm. And I, when I talked to them, like they were actually also kind of they, they also kind of understood the pain points that uh, DeFi would solve. As well, and this is actually like a pretty welcoming move from the ecosystem over there. However, I think one problem we need to solve in Korea is we, we I mean, like, I think, like, you know, despite being on chain and everything, I, I still feel like Korea's ecosystem like super firewalled, and I don't know really what's going on there unless I'm on the ground. Or, of I, course, I'm yeah, I, I think it's also like the language yeah. barrier plus kind of like, um, yeah, the, the hierarchy system there, right? Yeah. 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 And and then like I guess the fourth point would be I guess not too important but maybe maybe important to some people is like a lot of the uh night, the nightclubs there like some of the fanciest ones there <laughs> they all have like some ownership from crypto VCs or crypto founders and then some of the bouncers are also like paid in students. So I found that concept extremely amazing. Yeah, I guess yeah. Like Korea, you know, when yeah. when they when they do it, they go they do it big. I heard like you know like preschools and like you know elementary kids like you know trading crypto, when it was like a boom there. So I'm not I'm not too surprised. Um, the yeah, I think there's a definitely a ton of um a movement in terms of um the Korean yeah I guess like the Korean side of uh, um, uh the, the retail side of Korea. Um, and what about what about Aptos? I mean, like, sure. Aptos just went crazy there, right? Like this yeah, whole run was, was like... basically fed by Korean money, um, and like you know, I was joking about you know how Koreans are fucked for you know buying an apartment because like the interest rates are too high, and you know they're they're opting to you know buy the same acronym, which is like APT, which is cool. actually like Koreans. I realize like Koreans call it apartment, like Koreans call Aptos apartment. Um, and it's like a real thing where people are like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to buy this and this is eventually going to turn into an apartment. Right. So I found that concept hilarious as well as like, you know, kind of like a little bit dark <laughs> in terms of like what Koreans are going through. But um, yeah, I wanted to get your, you know, like ground take on like what what the what that atmosphere was like and, you know, what you kind of saw for Aptos in Korea. Sure thing. So I, I... Surprisingly, uh, a lot of people flew in from outside of uh, Korea to this hackathon as well. So this was like their first ever hackathon. Like I think more than mm. 30% of the registrants kind of flew in and then met a lot of Korean devs, like a lot of the uh, founding uh, or rather the engineers from the founding team of Kakao Talk or even Kakao in general, um, kind of actually doing some DeFi stuff on Aptos. So I was really excited to see that. And yeah, I, I just like... It was like nothing fancy, like some of the big conferences like Token 2049 or ETH Denver. It was just like pretty nerdy. Like you just sit around and talk to developers and yeah, that's it. Like, and I was pretty excited. Like there was a bit of language barrier that actually made it pretty challenging and hence fun. 
Yeah, yeah, I think Korea is yeah. uh, definitely one of those places that you got to speak the language to really go in depth. Um, by the oh, way, guys, yeah. um, if, yeah. uh, sorry, just, just to um, kind of like give a quick, uh, you know, like uh, announcement. If you guys do you want to come on, please um, uh, uh, request to speak. Uh, would love to kind of hear more from people on, you know, things that are going on in the space and, you know, things that you might want to ask um, Sharvin here. So, yeah, don't be shy. You know, uh, if you have something to say, please come on the mic and then I'll, uh, I'll approve you. Uh, hopefully you're not a fucking troll like last time. That's just screams into a mic once you come on, but I'll take that chance. Anyway, so, sorry, Sharvin. Um, yeah, so I think that's Korea. Um, yeah, like, did you see any, uh, I guess, like, was there was there something, um, I guess, more specific that you saw in terms of, like, why it went off so much in Korea? Or was it just more or less kind of like a retail kind of gamble? I, I would say, uh, like, a lot of the, t uh, like, the stats about the TVL, um, I, I would say... Obviously, uh, the retail, the, the people there love crypto too much. However, like, <laughs> based on what I understand, it seems like a lot of these old money family offices, like the big ones you can name off, like th these guys are also contributing quite a bit. So like, it's Do you pretty... Mean, you mean, yeah, like the old money is contributing quite a bit to the TBL? Yes, for sure. Like, a uh, lot, okay, like okay. I, I had like a... Like on my first day, I instantly rushed from my airport to the hotel. And then from my hotel, my friend kind of uh, helped uh, pick me up. And he was so kind. He just kind of drove me around to basically help me connect with like some of these uh, family office contacts of his. Um, mm. And yeah, it was just wonderful to see like what kind of TBL they had and they were contributing to. Yeah. Interesting. Like, so I mean, like it, it does have like families. an institutional backing. Yeah. Uh, and okay. okay. Yeah, it is it's just pretty exciting. Like then they know they know like crypto needs regulation and they're kind of actively working on it. Yeah. Uh okay. Um yeah, I think uh, like from what I've seen in Korea, maybe it's a little bit different. I always saw Korea as pretty restrictive um in terms of you know, like even like I think Korea's like big. Uh, I I you know like from my Korean news sources, what I've seen in the recent day for Korea is a lot of people going to jail, um, especially from like the top tier exchanges. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of people being investigated for. Um, Korea's very very restrictive and very very cognizant of um, money flowing out of Korea. So there was a lot of um uh kind of like subpoenas and you know things that were happening um to kind of stop that as well as like a lot of these firms that maybe took in a part of like the korean arbitrage like the kimchi premium um that are getting pegged now so my understanding of korea was like more restrictive rather than kind of like favorable but maybe maybe you had a different experience with that for sure um yeah definitely like even simple thing like play to one is sort of banned over there um, yep. that, that that is definitely pre uh, there. However, like uh, these like government officials who are like really passionate about crypto, like some big uh, positions, right? They they are actually they told me like they're kind of actively lobbying for crypto to be regulated. Mm. Well, and they're actually getting backing from a lot of the institutional like the big banks there, and in general, oh, like okay. also getting in the leading ecosystem players, right? For crypto, not only just the tradfis, like getting oh, okay. the key players involved from each side of the uh, supply chain. Got it. What about, um, like, just kind of, like, want to move on to, unless you have anything to say about more about Korea, um, I want to move on to, like, a neighboring country, yeah. Japan, where, you know, um, Credit Saison is from. So we have a research channel there. Uh, we, we actually um, teamed up with the biggest community there called uh, Kurasai. And we created a sub-brand called Xerox Kitsneko. I'll pin it here after. But, you know, we've been exploring the Japan space uh, because we realized that the regulation, the, the appetite, the, um, the capital flow has been loosening a little bit more and more. Um, I'm wondering if you have any insight into some of the evolution of crypto and how they're receiving it in, in terms of uh, on Japan side. So I, I think with regards to DeFi in Japan, um, Unfortunately, it's not really picking up. And yeah, I, I just don't really see a lot of users also over there, which is why like quite a few talented like um, Japanese founders actually moved out to Singapore so that they can actually uh, kind of identify who their target markets are and actually get the ball rolling. And with regards to, you know, 
the gov I mean the whole government being really bullish on metaverse and everything I think um, it's a pretty welcoming step for sure however um, I, I think for corporates or private entities that want to deal in crypto it's still pretty unfriendly so until like they kind of fix that uh, issue over mm. there which is like, pretty big right like 30-40% tax um, if you're yep, just yep. dealing with crypto so like that that's pretty like not friendly so I think in Japan uh, what I, I'm pretty interested in is how can we capture that target market of consumers? So unfortunately for build this side, I think most of them are actually coming up to Singapore and other countries. Um, so like with regards to like NFTs, for example, I think that's the biggest um, use case for crypto in Japan, to be honest, similar to Korea. Mm. Um, like, I think there's like many, many free mints going on, uh, going around. And then a lot of the influences there are, actually pretty influ like pretty influential right like some yep. zero thing suddenly bumps up to like uh, one eth or something yep. and it's not just one project it's many projects even in this bear market right and i think right. nfts is something they really care about and I, I i think with regards to like the whole anime uh play going on like i think that is definitely picking up a lot of traction but unfortunately for DeFi, i don't really see too much uh okay so i think we'll jump into more of the nft side um so we have been looking at some of the nft infrastructure um nft especially perp side um i think that is taken off because of maybe um their resilience to what they've shown in terms of pricing um in the spare market um and i think people are maybe kind of flocking towards i mean like given that it's it's not you know compared to DeFi or compared to like overall kind of like volume it's very 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 small piece but also at the same time i think we've seen some trends um that are going towards like nft perps and you know especially the nft community being you know huge as it is and like you mentioned korea japan and some of these more restricted countries are you know mainly focusing on nfts um how are you kind of like seeing nfts um and um i guess you know like overall umbrella statement like how are you seeing nfts and um what are the what are some of the things that you are currently looking at for nfts sure um so with regards to nfts um i i guess obviously not a big fan of the whole profile picture hype um yeah um yeah i mean but that's the part, that's that's like the majority of what nfts are right now right unfortunately yes uh yeah. however i i do see like a lot of you know these like uh anime like uh, gaming companies coming out and then and a lot of like like uh, for example like one of the top guys uh who used to work at uh so, some top gaming company right uh he left uh his company, he, he was like the CEO equivalent for like one region. And he's actually getting into the GameFi space. And I think NFTs will be boosted by GameFi in itself. And then if you want to talk about how NFTs um, can potentially be just like a, a category on its own, I think you need to push a bit of NFTFi into it, right? Because at the end of the day, um, it is an asset class, right? And if you need an asset class, you, you need some real world utility and everything to it. So I think NFTFi... Uh, basically is something where like you can use the nfts to basically use that to depict like any potential loans or something for a real world asset um which i think may not be that friendly from a user experience point of view for uh, mm. lending lenders and borrowers but so you're comparing nfts to real world assets now right where nfts um have i think um basically like they're transferable, I guess, uh, composability. Uh, you can wrap, you know, like some of these real world assets into NFT um, and then, you know, add liquidity to it. I'm yeah. just, I wanted to maybe challenge that a little bit and say, mm -hmm. is it, you know, I, I feel like NFT crowd is very not real world asset. NFT crowd is very much like, you know, it's like a, the degen crowd of crypto, I guess, um, where, I think the profile photos work because of the people involved in the NFT community. It's easy, easy to understand. It is. It's. It's. It's less about the value. I think. I think someone was mentioning this, like the whole thesis behind NFTs, and I think it's. It was basically 
it's not about the value of the NFTs. It's 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 about the identity that it, it represents. Like these people will just hold it 99% down because at the end of the day, it's like the community, it's the, it's the inclusion, it's the exclusivity, it's the community that you kind of built around you. Um, you. You get to be involved as we get more lonelier through, you know, like the toxicness of social media. Like, you know, you, you have this community that you, you know, make money with, um, you you kind of get involved. So I feel like that is the growth and that is the um, like the killer use case for NFTs. Um, but maybe maybe you, you have a different thought on that. So I, I mean, just like how the cryptocurrency, I mean, I, I don't call it cryptocurrency, but I, I just call it crypto. Um, so like, <laughs> I think the whole cryptocurrency, you know, the hype that started, I think it, it was obviously like good to have some hype about anything because it actually uh, get it actually gets people to actually look at this thing going on and obviously ethereum is not a currency cosmos is not a currency yada 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 um so i i think like with regards to the profile picture hype it was a great thing that people started looking at these uh, nft profile picture projects and then really started to dive really deep into the technicalities behind the NFTs in general. And like, if you look at the Ethereum Foundation websites and everything, like there's some wonderful proposals out there, right? Like that actually enables your NFTs to be more than just a profile picture on your Telegram or Twitter. Mm. Um, mm. And like from a, like, I mean, if we want to look at it from an investor perspective, like I, I don't really think we can, I mean, as much as I like some profile picture projects, I own like a couple of my own as well. And I, I kind of agree with you, like about the community thing. But, but when you say that, like from an investor perspective, um, like it's it's a bit hard to back or invest in some of these BFP projects, right? And at least from a I, traditional point of view. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting about, and like, you guys can come on uh, and like dispute me on this, but I feel like what NFT kind of represents is almost this revolution towards um rebellion towards like the investors and the vcs um where it's inherently not scalable it's inherently hard to kind of corner the market or you know like i, I mean you you definitely could I've, I've seen some people like you know buy up you know like copious amount of nfts and pump their bags but um all in all i think most successful ones or the blue chips or the ones that have you know are able to get history are ones that are owned by the community um and I feel like that's what I really see in NFTs as well. It's uh, it's this like, you know, like it's it's not the haves having more. It's more of like yeah, like all these guys that maybe were able to do a free mint or were able to mint it at a very small price um, are able to kind of like bring it up together um, and then basically like you know have something of their own rather than just whales and these VCs um, kind of controlling the controlling stakes, right? So it's it's like almost this like revolution against like the haves, like the 1%, whatever. I, I see that as one of the NFT kind of like features and like community you know, that I've seen. So maybe uh, like in that perspective, um, I guess for like if I put my VC hat on, it's more of like, okay, like we realize that that's like the culture of NFT and like, what are the some of the adjacent um, spheres or um, I guess like systems like NFT perps or NFT lending that are popping up that could we could potentially invest in? You know, keeping the keeping the original kind of vision and original kind of culture intact, but there might be some uh, adjacent products that are coming out on the side that maybe fits in more in line with with the um, the investment thesis. Sure thing. So I, I guess like the first thing is uh, for sure the culture for NFTs is exactly as what you described. However, cultures always evolve. And with regards to just crypto in general, how people looked at Ethereum as just a currency, then it became an L1, then like they actually realized what it really means like from a technical basis as well and w how you can sort of enhance its applications. That, uh, that being said, like, obviously, there's a lot of users coming in for NFTs. They want a DGEN. That's perfectly fine, you know. Um, so, and hence, like, I see, like, NFT fire as something that, that really needs to be there. Like, for example, if you look at this protocol, Abacus, 
which is being built on Arbitrum right now. That that is pretty excellent, right? It kind of helps to serve as even a liquidity, uh, sort of like a liquidity layer for uh, potential uh, NFT MMs as a service protocols to actually function on backers as well, and that kind of enhances uh, make, makes the markets more efficient. So mm. I, I guess like that's my current take on the whole NFT situation right now. But got it, yeah, got I mean, it. just profile pictures on its own, yeah, that's not something I can back. Or like even mm, on a personal okay. basis, like I ask myself, like, would I actually invest in the equity of Project ABC? I, I mean, I, I yeah, and I, mm. even on a personal basis, I don't think I can. Mm, but obviously, okay. it's like no, up to sense. everyone else. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I think we're, you know, almost running out of time here. So um, again, like if you have questions, feel free to um, raise up your hand or come on the mic. Um, but Shervin, you know, 2023, right? Um, looks like, you know, with BUSD and, you know, with the SEC kind of going on after Kraken for staking and a lot of these things going on, um, looks like we're going to have very, very... Um, uh, heavy regulation coming in. I think it's it, this is all part of like the spillage coming from Luna, Celsius, BlockFi, um, you know, the FTX, obviously, um, kind of spilling into this year. Um, what are you kind of thinking in terms of 2023, 2024, um, in terms of, um, I guess, the how will evolve in terms of the space and then maybe some of the things that you might be looking at to um, as an opportunity that might be rising up sure um i, I guess with regards to 2023 and even like i mean I, I guess even since last year i've been like talking to a lot of uh people that kind of work with regulatory authorities as well right because again put the portfolio company's interest is always at the top of my mind so mm. I, I i just want to learn like how they should be evolving and everything. And for sure, like right now, the kind of companies we want to back is like someone that is pretty crypto native. And then at the same time has the potential, you know, web to quote unquote, like web to um, builders discipline, which is something that okay. the space desperately needs. And that actually understands why regulators are coming in and not really act like an anarchist. Uh, okay, okay. So you want people that are coming in that are basically having either experiences with regulation or understand I mean, regulation or have licenses? I mean, like if you talk to the, I mean, so say some we invest even in non-crypto things like that's, uh, I mean, we started investing in like fintech and a lot of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so like, if you talk to these guys, like, obviously, they don't, I mean, no one, I, I, I don't think anyone really likes regulations. How, mm. However, like, how one sort of reacts to that is also pretty important. And clearly the crypto community has not really, you know, reacted really well to regulations. Like, of course not. I mean, the whole something... ethos of crypto was started because of, you know, like centralized entity and TradFi, right? And yes, for sure. But unfortunately, if we want to make this mainstream, yeah, we sooner or later, the government's going to knock in. Got it. So you, what yeah. you're going to be looking for is, you know, people that are more favorable and more, um, I guess, like more accommodating. Pretty versatile, more... basically. Like they, mm. they are flexible and they can adapt to anything. Mm. Is there any and other, obviously. are there industries that you might be looking at or categories that you might be looking at in sure. terms of um, that? Yeah. Um, so like w one thing, obviously, like DeFi is obviously like a pretty big term, but then in, in DeFi, I'll, I'm pretty much look, looking at a lot of these um, MEV protocols that kind of help to redistribute the money back to, you know, consumers or like normal mm -hmm. users like us. Um, and the, I think like... MEV protocols as in like CowSwap? Um, something where like they Gito, prevent or in, Gito Labs or something. Gito Labs? Yeah. Uh, where, where they, I guess, like redistribute MEV profits to the consumers. Yes. Ah, okay. And okay. and I think like that that is just like a foundational layer because like I've been like in this space since like quite some time. Um, but obviously, it, under like uh, it, I mean, it's like something you can't really just go out and you know be anonymous. Like you have to be anon to talk about it. Uh, mm -hmm. However, like it, it's just really sad to see like a lot of the uh community I've been speaking to. There's not been too much like you know 
there's, there's not like too many new people I've been meeting in the MEV space, which is pretty depressing, to be honest. Like, because if you look at the uh, data of like I think text volume, is there, and, is there a lot of uh, MEV opportunities? Because like the MEV, like the amounts that I've seen were negligible. I think uh, um, there's like only a handful of people that are able to take advantage because the pie might be very, very small. I, I think the pie is obviously a bit small now. Um, mm. But I think, like, it, I mean, like, for example, if, like, for example, like, uh, it, I, I met this guy uh, who, who kind of is building some protocols to sort of eliminate MEV. And, mm. you, you know, I, I just don't get the un- logic behind that, to be honest, because, I mean, blockchains is basically, quote unquote, decentralized, right? Like, for sure, like, you can do anything you like. And so MEV is something you cannot really escape. So why waste so much brain power in sort of, you know, eliminating it? when it is actually like not possible to actually get rid of it. Um, and why not just embrace it and try to get the reward and allow the users to actually, you know, vote in or out the bad out good actors? Because the proof of stake kind of allows users to do that, which, is, which was not possible on proof of work. Mm. But isn't like protocols like KaiSwap kind of doing that where they redirect some of the order flow into, you know, like other assets um, and then direct it back to the ultimate kind of like, um, I guess, like that asset that you were trading for so that, you know, yep. like you, you kind of remove that potential for MEV, right? Um, yeah, but it, I, I mean, like, it's not really foolproof, to be honest. Like, no one can, mm. if anyone claims they can eliminate MEV, I, I don't think they're really building on a blockchain. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, um, I, I definitely need to dig more into this space. I, and then, I, like, I think I, I have a very it, general understanding. Like, yeah, you know, too much negativity about MEV in general, which is pretty, you know, sad to hear because, like, if you look at the ETH DEX volume and the MEV profit, it's kind of like, almost perfectly correlated if you look at the chart i'll share with you offline um Mm. and if i mean if you say you're bullish on DeFi and you say you're super anti-mev you should say you're anti-malicious and you should not say you're anti-mev yeah which is like the sentiment i've been seeing in most of the circles i've been in got it got it okay okay um so those are some of the uh some of the things that you're looking for um i just want to get through one last question because i uh, have you here um so I, I want to get your take on some of the things that we've been looking at, which is, um, I think, especially with the regulations kind of coming in, I think um, I, after FTX, um, Cumberland had this amazing tweet about how crypto will resemble more of a Forex market. And th- that market is basically, instead of having a monolithic structure where you have you know one entity that's doing borrowing, lending, trading, custody, um, collateral, you, you know it, right? Um, instead of that, we go into more of a monolithic model where you have various different custodies, very different um, entry to the market um, with different collaterals, different regulations that kind of uh, diversify that risk. Um, and then you have the middle layers or the service providers that um, you know, uh, constructs OEMS, um, uh, you know, the trading, settlement, lending, borrowing, um, all of that. And combined, they all participate in this market called crypto. But, you know, uh, because it's isolated, um, isolated collateral, isolated regulation, it's, it's harder for one party to kind of fall through. Um, and we've been looking at a lot of those, um, a lot of the protocols and a lot of the kind of solutions that, support that hypothesis. Um, so I'm wondering from your end, uh, what your thought on that whole thesis is? Um, it kind of, it, it obviously kind of makes a, a lot of sense to be honest, but uh, I mean, like for me, like every time I look at things, if I can potentially back it, right? It's like, um, how, how do I sort of find like a potential PMF or something? And as long as it meets that. Oh, sorry, like, for, for uh, myself and other guys, what's PMF again? Oh, sorry, uh, product market fit. Product market fit, yes. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, like the entire space, on, uh, which is actually not supposed to be this way, but it is what it is, right? So I, I think we, the entire space is currently still in the experimentation mode. So like, as long as we see even a brief PMF, I think it's definitely something we can look into, to be honest. 
because we still haven't realized the real applications that can be used. Mm, mm, mm. So you're saying that for you know some of those like basically if you start seeing maybe volumes pop up in you know um, some of these service providers or you see you know TVLs kind of getting racked up in these individual wallets or custodies that would signal as one of the things that you you, you know basically signal you saying you know like okay like this is a space that you could look into. Um, I mean, like, it should not be a non-stop J-curve, right? Um, that, that would be pretty dangerous because um, that, that for sure is not something natural. Um, what, what we, I guess, would be looking for is, like, a steady growth. Like, it is fine if we are not the first investors of category ABC, but we need to be sure, like, the growth is actually stable. It, it's not just a J-curve because that, mm. that would be something, like, for us, we are, like, a pretty long-term investor. Like, we hold for, like, three to five years. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, for, from our perspective, like, we, we need to be really, sh- like, we really need to make sure of it, like, how we look at the current trends coming out. And got we it, got it. invest in a short term, we don't have a liquid strategy. That's interesting. Yeah, we should definitely look into that because um, we haven't really thought about the, the, the growth curve aspect of it. I think um, being exposed for, to crypto for way long, um, I think J-curve kind of became a, more of a default. Um, steady curve almost seems like they're underperforming. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that's an interesting theory that we, we should definitely look into. Um, anyways, I, I think um, we're running out of time here. So uh, I want to wrap up here. Um, where can they go find you um, other than your Twitter? Um, you know, uh, are there any places where you sure. know, they can um, find you or, you know, Saison? Sure. Uh, you can find us at like... You can just search us up on LinkedIn, and I guess like our websites and everything's gonna be there. Like, and LinkedIn, we have to email IDs for like for for all of our team members. So sounds good. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I think Saison's here. Uh, uh, he's uh, sorry, Sharbin's joining it with the his um uh, the company um, Twitter here. So you can go follow um Saison Capital on Twitter. And then I think they'll they'll have all the links. As always, guys. Um, I think we uh, we we have a newsletter that we pinned here on the on the chat. Um, oh, sorry, on the spaces, and we have a, a channel where we kind of compile all the information from many 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 different sources into one kind of bite-sized um, nugget that you can kind of digest every day so you don't have to go through like 50 other um, newsletters. Um, so definitely subscribe for that. Um, we have um, our channel on Telegram as well. It's called Illuminati Daily. Um, so definitely check us out on Telegram. And then, yeah, uh, we have, uh, I think we have five other spaces coming up this week. So it's going to be a busy week. So definitely tune in for those. Um, and uh, Sharvin, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Super enjoyable, of course. Um, Yeah, we'll talk to you guys all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.